Hello there, woman beings, and welcome to another episode of the Woman Being Podcast. We are here today with the one, the only, you know her, you love her, (laughs) Megan Shantz. She is the creator of the Faith and Feminism Podcast, author of the book Women Rising. She is a new mom, which she was not a mom any other times that we had her on. This is very exciting. And she is also seeking ordination at the United Methodist Church. And so Megan has so many amazing things going on. Um, We are so stoked to have her here uh, for her third recording with us, our only three-time guest. (laughs) And we are going to talk about all things motherhood. We're going to talk about loss in motherhood. We're going to talk about the pressures of becoming a new mom, of doing that in the midst of like deconstruction of a feminist view on faith, all those good things. I will give a trigger warning that we may cover the topic of miscarriage. So anyone who wants to skip past that, feel free to skip past. Uh, But we're going to dive right in. This is Woman Being, where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds. Without expectation or judgment, we will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine. Megan, this is your third time on the podcast. Um, We are so excited to be talking with you again. Uh, So just give us give us the deets. Give us the update. What have you been up to? Last time we talked to you, it was to talk about the ERA. So um, now we're going to talk to you about motherhood, which is a whole different subject. But yes, tell us uh, what you've been up to. Well, the last time we talked about the ERA, um, I was pregnant. I don't know how many months pregnant, but some amount. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> <We know. laughs> surprising. Um, I have now I now have a baby girl. Um, hmm. she is almost six months. She'll be six months in two days. Um she is wonderful and the light of our lives. Um hmm. she's a big flirt, and so Ooh. everyone calls her like a beacon of joy because she just smiles at everyone Aww. like all the time. She's so Cute. she's so precious. I love her. And she's recently sleeping through the night, and uh I like miss her at night, like watch. Like I look at like pictures of her, she's sleeping, which is so funny because I wanted her so badly to be in her own space in her own crib, and now I'm like, totally, yeah, yeah. So she's in her own room now, but um, yeah, motherhood is so much harder than I think anyone can tell you because it's like something that has to be experienced, but I think it's also. Like there's so much more depth there, um, mm-hmm. and good and de- I like I love her so much, and man, it's it's a new type of love, and so I feel like when people tell you that parenthood is hard, but it's also amazing, and I think yes, but it's like m- more everything is more than they say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the sleepless nights are harder, but the joy you get from her is like more profound, and so yeah, um, yeah, and and my transition into motherhood was not easy, but I'm sure that we will be talking about that. Um, totally. I don't think it's easy for anyone, though. Let's right. be honest. Yeah, so, it's yeah. a huge shift in how you live yeah. your life. <laughs> right. So, would you be willing to give us sort of like the overview of your birth story, just to bring the people up to speed, like what that what that what yeah. experience yeah. was yeah. like? What was it like? <laughs> So my birth 
experience story, whatever you want to call it, um, was not what I expected. And I think Mm. that's the case so much of parenthood Mm. and getting, trying to get pregnant and all of it, like so little is in your control. Mm. Um, and my personality is I would like to be in control. I think a lot of us would like to be in control. Um, and I did everything I hired. So I hired doulas right off the bat because I knew that I would struggle with anxiety. My first pregnancy was a miscarriage. And so, Mm. um, I had a lot of trauma going mm-hmm. into ultrasounds after that. Right. Um, yeah. And so I knew that I wanted someone to walk me through this process. And I knew birth would be something. I just wanted support. Um, yeah. And by the way, if there's one thing I recommend for people who are about to give birth, it would be a doula 110%. Um mm. But so I, so I hired a doula and they had all of these recommendations to make the birth go quicker, easier. Um, and one of those things you can do is called, it's, the term is called baby spinning. You're not like really spinning a baby, <laughs> but it, there's like, there's all these positions that you can do. There are exercises that you can do every day mm-hmm. um, that can help your baby get an optimal p- position that will give you a shorter labor um, and um, an easier exit, which is what we all want mm-hmm. um, out of the womb. And so you know, I did that. I like walked every day. I like walked three miles every day. Wow. And I just was like doing all of the things. I was taking all of the vitamins. I was doing everything I could in my power to be um, as prepared as I could. Um, and I even had towards the end of your pregnancy, there's a little bit of evidence that shows if you consume a lot of dates, it can like help. I mean, it's supposed to soften your cervix and whatever. I did all of it. And she was, um, you know, late, you know, we got to my due date and she was, um, I was having regular contractions apparently that I didn't feel, um, which I didn't know was a thing, or at least I didn't recognize them as contractions. Um, but you can have contractions for like a month prior to birth. What? Wow. Yeah. I don't know that. You're like yeah. blowing my mind. Well, well, I know. There's so many things you didn't know. And so they're like, I remember them like measuring my belly, like on her due date. And they're like, do you feel that? And like, no, they're like, you're having a contraction. I'm like, that's uh, news to me. Yeah. Like, great. I great. didn't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, but she, she was, you know, they did the exam and they're like, Mm, I, you know, we have no idea. And that's, I think one of the hardest parts of, of pregnancy is, uh, especially when you reach the end, they're like, it could be in a couple hours or it could be in a couple weeks. Like everything mm. is a sign of everything and mm. nothing means anything. Yeah. <laughs> so frustrating. Yeah. And so as you get to the end, like to get to term, if you go above 42 weeks, there's a slight increase in stillbirth, which freaked me the heck out after my miscarriage. And so I knew I wanted to get induced. And so I chose to get induced around 41 weeks. And um, yeah, so started, you know, they gave me the first medication at like 7 p.m., 
um, on a, also what's really annoying is like she was due around Labor Day, but like her due date was September 1st. And I was like, you're going to be in labor on Labor Day. And I'm like, yeah. no, I'm not. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> I was in labor all day on Labor Day. Um, but it wasn't until, uh, so I didn't like get any sleep that night. And oh. then, so I guess I was technically in labor, I guess. I don't know. It's really hard to define what labor is. And then it wasn't until like the next night at like, I don't know, 8 p.m. that um, I was getting ready to push. But that in that process was a lot of waiting, a lot of anxiety. There was one point where I progressed really, really quickly. Like I wasn't progressing at all. And then I like your cervix opens up and I progressed really quickly. And the baby, um, Emmy was under distress because, um, like whenever I had a contraction, it was like pushing on her umbilical cord. And so then there's like all these nurses and they're like trying to flip me around and like move me. So it was just like the whole, like, thank God for doulas because they were explaining and, uh, that really helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and the doctor came in and like checked me and she's like, wow, you're like such a good pusher. This baby's going to be out in 45 minutes. Like um, she's in the perfect position. And I'm like, yeah, I got this. Like, this is going to be so great. And then, you know, like three hours later after, you know, I had started pushing, wow. I had made no progress Mm -hmm. they kept on telling me she was stuck on my pubic bone and that her head would mold because baby's brain you know skulls are all malleable and such Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but it wasn't molding and I remember like I was so exhausted I can't tell you how exhausting pushing is Mm -hmm. um because you haven't had any sleep you're at the end of a really long pregnancy and um yeah and I kept on asking like is she moving? Like, am I making any progress? And I could tell uh, the nurses were like, no, but we're going to say like, maybe, like it could be. And maybe it was, a little. <laughs> yeah. It's like so demoralizing because I was mm-hmm. literally giving everything I had. And um, a little history about me is like, my, my body has been very physically able to do things. I've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro um, and I did really well. My first half marathon, I ran in two hours. Like, Whenever I've called upon my body to push itself, um, I've always been great. You know, like my body has come forward through me, for me. And so I guess because I had that background, I was like, oh, definitely, like, definitely not going to have a C-section. Definitely going to just push this baby out because... I'm, I'm really athletic. All evidence pointed to that. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And so after three hours, um, she said, my doctor told me that, uh, she usually doesn't want her moms to push beyond three hours because mothers like physically doesn't have like anything left to give and pushing can become ineffective. And so she Mm. said, there's really two options for you at this point. You can get a vacuum, um, or you can get a C-section. And I uh, asked what the risks with the vacuum were. And they said a brain bleed for my daughter. And it's like, mm-hmm. nope. Mm-hmm. And so I opted into a C-section, which was something I was really afraid of and really didn't think would happen. But then it happened. And yeah. I remember, I thought I said this in my head. I'm just like kind of delirious at this point. But they're like, wheeling me back to the OR and I I thought I said in my head if I die I die just like trying to comfort myself oh, gosh. I and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but 
yeah. And so then, you know, I was reeled back to the the room. I, they're asking me if I could like feel things and I could They're like, okay, like we'll try and get it better, but we're going to go in anyway. So they like went in and oh my God. Uh, <laughs> I was nervous because I could feel something. <laughs> yeah. Not like, not like the pressure. Like I felt like, they're like, can you feel the sharpness of this? And I'm like, not over here, but yes, over here. Uh-huh. And, um, anyway, so then Yeah, so they were getting her out, which is just a crazy experience being fully awake and feeling your organs being like shifted around as they try to get to your room. And yeah, and so then um, I heard her cry, which is just like such a huge relief. But then it felt like and I was drugged at this point. So take everything with like a grain of salt. But it felt like when she was born, every one was focused on her, which is great, but I felt really abandoned in that moment. Like people mm-hmm. weren't telling me what was going on. Mm-hmm. I felt like everyone got to see my daughter except mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember like saying, like calling out for my husband and he couldn't hear me because he, the other, all the doctors were asking him questions about like, there's so many questions. Oh my gosh. You don't even know. They're like, <sighs> do we put this drug on her? Do we want to clamp? Like, do you want to delay cord? Like, there's just so many questions, which I will not go into detail now. Um, And so they were asking him those and I felt really abandoned in that Mm. moment. And then they brought me to her or brought her to me and it was love at first sight. I know that's not Mm. the case for every parent, um, but that was, that was definitely me. I was just completely overwhelmed with love for her. And mm-hmm. then I had the lovely process of recovering from C-section and something Dang. that happens after C-section is that it can take longer for your milk to come in if you're breastfeeding. And so, um, my recovery physically was, was pretty good, but it took a while for my milk to come in. And mm-hmm. those first couple of nights home, like she didn't sleep like Aww. at all. And so we got like two hours and those two hours were like, we were just so anxious and so scared about yeah. everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of like a brief synopsis of our, our of the birth story. Um, and then also kind of feeling like my body had like failed me. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love hearing people's birth stories, uh, especially the older I get and the closer I get to like wanting to have my own kids because mm-hmm. it's just fascinating. The things that you just don't really learn. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, there's and there's so much. so much. Yeah. 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 And, like I've heard it described that like birth stories are like are like war stories, you know, yeah, like, for real. like mm-hmm. it's like you made it through like this crazy mm-hmm. thing that like a lot of people do and yeah. like make it. And it's like everyone's different and everyone's experience mm-hmm. is different. It's just wild. I'm like, what? I can't imagine too that like heart sinking feeling or I'm imagining. So you can tell me what your experience mm-hmm. was, but that heart sinking feeling when it's like, okay, I have to have a C-section. Mm-hmm. Like the thing that's like the last resort. Yeah. I mean, I felt like a failure. I remember mm. really feeling like I was a failure. And I mean, I shouldn't have. It wasn't my fault. Yeah. Um, I mean, later on, we found out like when they took her out, my doctor said there was no way she was fitting. Um, and so it was like the added bonus that she was a week late and then her head was 96 percentile. Um, and it wasn't molding. Like her head came out yeah. like perfectly browned. And mm. there, I mean, it was like, it's crazy to think that if I didn't have the option of C-section, we both probably would be dead. Right. Yeah. At the same time, it's like, that's not how I wanted it to go. Right. And so like, yeah. I'm grateful that we're both alive, but 
I still grieve that my birth story wasn't what I wanted. Mm. And I, and I want to say that like to people listening or who are going through it, there's a lot of great birth stories. Oftentimes I think you usually hear about the traumatic ones because uh, people want to talk about it. And like, you know, when you go through something hard, you want to find camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of really great birth stories out there as well. And so I hope that doesn't like scare anyone. And I, and I do think my birth would have been very, very traumatic for me if it wasn't for a doula that like yeah. literally held my hand, put a rack on my forehead, like did all of the things to yeah. walk me through that process. And she had, you know, attended hundreds of births. And mm-hmm. so like, I knew I could trust her expertise. And so I think if there's any recommendation I have for anyone, it's going to do that, but yeah. they're worth their weight in gold. For sure. Yeah. I'm like, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the array of birth stories I've heard throughout my life from like, someone needing to get a C-section because of spike heart rate, like a like an increase in heart rate. And it's like, okay, we just we need to just go ahead and get the baby out and like mm-hmm. didn't even go into labor. Mm-hmm. And then people that ha- pushed out their first baby at home in less than two hours. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like there, there really is such a spectrum and you really don't know what your experience will be mm-hmm. until it's happening. Mm-hmm. And like that's right. the amazing part about it and also the like scary part about it. Like you yeah. – you don't fully know what you're signing up for, but you know what you want, right? Yeah. And you know you yeah. want a baby. Yeah, because no matter how prepared you think you are. <laughs> yeah, you can do everything. I did everything. I yeah. literally did everything. And it, something that my doulas kept telling me is like, you can do your part, but she has to do her part and you don't mm-hmm. have any control over that. And so yeah. you want her to come on time, but you don't have any control over that. And you want her head to fit to your birth canal. But again, you don't have, I mean, she didn't obviously have any control over either of those things either. But yeah. I think they just do it to remind you that like, this isn't actually in your control. Yeah. Um, and so, and it's not. And That's even so much of motherhood is not yeah. <laughs> in her control. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing your birth story and like mm-hmm. all these intimate details that we just like, we're, we're here for it. Yes. <laughs> um, but I appreciate you sharing. To pivot a little bit, I'm curious, you and your husband obviously like are working together to, to raise your beautiful daughter. Mm-hmm. But you have, uh, you're more in a position where you're maybe the primary parent. You're at home. Mm-hmm. Um, all the Dustin is also at home. Uh, mm-hmm. But you're able to have the flexible schedule and and be be there all the time. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious, like, what that's been like for you. And then as someone who obviously is outwardly very feminist, very vocal, mm-hmm. do you feel any sort of... I don't know, maybe almost imposter syndrome or like feeling like, are you feminist enough <laughs> because because you're doing that? I want to yeah. hear. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's a common misconception that, I mean, even I resonate with as a feminist that, totally. you know, you need to be out like working and slaying and all of this stuff. But I think what feminism truly is, is the option to have a choice yeah. and the option to choose what's best for your family. And so um, I think... You know, like we did a cookbook called like recipes to take down the patriarchy because like we liked the idea of like, you're telling me as a woman, my place is in the kitchen, but I can reclaim this place and make it my choice and make it a place of activism. And so um, I think that's what feminism is. I think there's a lot of misconceptions in society that feminism is 
you know, women. Rah, yeah. <laughs> totally. And I think there's an element of that. We we should have the option to be rare. Mm-hmm. And I still think I'm rare, but mm-hmm. I'm also the primary caregiver for our daughter. And so I think it's having the option to choose what is best for your family. And so what was best for our family? Um, well, first of all, we're both very grateful, blessed. I know blessed is not the Hashtag right word. blessed. <laughs> we're both very grateful that we get to work at home, yeah. work yeah. from home. In fact, we, Dustin had, my husband had a major career change um, that I like we both wanted before we had children because that was really important to me. I was not going to be in the house by myself. Mm, yeah. And so his job is, is, is very flexible for, for what it is. I mean, he, uh, he's a computer programmer and so mm. he's able to help, um, quite a bit, but I'm still the one that's responsible for everything. And so his job, I get paid very little for what I do and what I do get paid for. I raise on Patreon. Or mm-hmm. I get from my book, which is really not a lot. Yeah. So yeah, you got you to want to be yeah, author. Yeah. All I have to say is my husband is making uh, far, 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 far more money than I am, and of course we need to support our family, and so yeah. it made sense for him to keep his his job, and for me that had a lot more flexible schedule. Who's not making near enough money? Uh, to support our family, um, for me to, to figure it out. Um, not, and I, I shouldn't say me to figure it out, us to figure it out, but it made us figuring it out was me <laughs> being the primary caregiver. Yeah. He works for a very progressive company. So he actually got 12 weeks paid leave. That's incredible. Oh, I is. know. 10 out of 10. Yeah. 10 out of 10. So for the first 12 weeks, he was changing the majority of it. Like that was the caregiving, I think, was very evenly distributed during those yeah. first 12 weeks. Um, and I was so grateful for that. Like, he definitely changed, like, 90% of the diapers because that's what he could do. And I had the boobs, so I, like, would obviously feed her. Yeah. But everything we did was a partnership. And I remember describing it to my therapist at the time, and she was like, wow, like, I wish I had that, you know, because yeah. those first 12 weeks, like, we could both be up in the night. We could both like everything was was truly um, like this beautiful dance where we both held um, equal responsibility for her caregiving. Um, and so I'm really grateful for that. And it also gave him time to bond with her, mm-hmm. which I think so many parents miss out on, whether or not they're you know the mother or the father, um, because moms still have to go back to work really early as well, which is so messed up. Yeah. We can talk about that later. But um, my yeah, so I was really grateful for that. And so transitioning into that, I felt like I felt as like pretty competent as a mother by the time he went back to work. And um, since then I've been trying to figure out how to balance the work I used to do with also being the primary caregiver. And we've taken steps that way. So right now we're doing something called nap training and we're trying to get her to sleep in her crib for her naps Mm -hmm. without me holding her, but she definitely prefers the contact naps. And so that will give me more time. We just hired a babysitter to come a couple times a week. Um, And in the, yeah, in the fall, we'll be starting um, a preschool. I mean, preschool sounds really early, but that's basically what it is. Mm. Um, It's not a daycare it's like a um, program at actually a United Methodist church that does like every Tuesday and Thursday morning. Nice. Oh, um, that's cool. So like there's definitely steps and 
um, as I move forward, I, I learn how, what work I can do. Like, for example, while she naps and if she's napping on me, I can do some reading on my Kindle uh, to catch up because a lot of the, the guests I have, I have to read books. And yeah. um, and another thing I found is to like, if I'm recording reels, I'll like <laughs> record all of them. I'll just change my shirt. Yeah. And I don't even know what I'm going to do. I'm just like, I can do something with this. I'll just record me saying <laughs> like whatever to the music. And then I just change my shirt. And then I have all of these in the draft. And when she's napping, I'll like go through, I'm like, okay, well, what can I make this into relevant content? And so Mm -hmm. it's definitely taken me some time to find my feet. Um, but I'm finding my feet and, um, it's, it's what's working for us. And, um, I also love that he is still supporting my work essentially. Like I couldn't make, like I said, I, I, even if I was just trying to take care of myself, I would not be making enough money to you know fully you guys do this on your weekends right yeah. like it's, it's a lot of it's a lot of work yeah we know <laughs> so yeah you guys feel well aware so, you know juggling jobs and this it's a lot and yeah, so he's been supporting this dream of mine for a while you know to get published and now he's supporting me so in that way I still feel like it's super feminist I think totally, it's just totally. what works best for our family yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I love the shirt changing hat because yeah. we do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Switch your shirt. I was wearing a different outfit earlier today when we recorded a different episode. Yeah. And now we change. Yeah. Yeah. And we do it between making like, you know, we make our Woman Crush Wednesday videos where on Instagram we talk about a woman in history. Uh-huh. We change outfits between yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely yeah. a hat. I mean, that's what you have to do. Like yeah. to, to to make the content. You like yeah. you have to find a hat to make it work and I literally so there's a my office is like a bonus room upstairs and there's a closet in there and I just have a bunch of shirts that I just <laughs> and usually I'm in my pajamas and I throw a shirt over my pajamas yeah, um, yeah. and I just make sure my face looks good nice yeah <laughs> well done okay so <laughs> I came up with this term let me know if this okay I hope it isn't like rude, but it seems like you're kind of in a complimentary and passing relationship for the time being. <laughs> I well, okay, so what let's let's break this down. Complimentary yeah. and passing. That means what? Can you define that? So, with so meaning me like too? husband is primary provider, wife mm-hmm. is primary caregiver. From an outsider, yeah. from an it outside could perspective, like without knowing your, you two, it yeah. just sort of is like more a more traditional route. I mean, I think it is a more traditional route, but it's also I think like I'm not submitting to my husband, and true, I'm not like true, 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 true. Yeah. yeah, I'm not like be quiet, okay, <laughs> yeah. like, don't bother your father. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, come get your daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and usually, I don't have to tell him because I remember when we were doing this. Um, what is it called? Our discovery like, call. Discovery Pre- call. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. She started to get like fussy mm-hmm. and I was on the discovery call. And even though he was working, he came and got her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, it's just partnership. And yeah. I think from the outside, sure. Like he, well, from the outside, we both work from home. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah, sure. It could look like that. But I, again, I just want to emphasize that M- feminism is choice it's choice Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and you know what even if say that you know dustin went to a nine like he left and went to a nine to five um and i chose to be home that would still be feminist yeah Yeah. that would be my choice that'd be what was Mm -hmm. best for you okay right that's, that's incredible would you kind of break down like you mentioned like he changed the diapers and things and like he kind right. of got her when he was still working and you were working. Can mm-hmm. you 
like share a little bit more about how you guys in sharing parenthood have shared responsibility as a married couple in a way that is equitable? Yeah, I think, first of all, there's a really good book, which I recommend, which I haven't read, but I interviewed a person who's an expert on it. <laughs> but it's called Fair Play. Hmm. Um, and the person I had on my podcast to talk about it, she has a pretty big account. That darn chat. Yes. You guys heard of? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I had her and she talked about, um, first of all, before you even... Um, have children, there's so many roles and responsibilities that I think we don't think about like who's usually doing them. So for example, when you do the dishes, there's so many steps to even just doing something as simple as the dishes that people don't think about. Someone Mm -hmm. has to buy a sponge. Someone has to buy the dish detergent. Um, You have to have like, if you know, if you're loading a dishwasher, then you need the little pods. Like there's just like so many different steps. You have to dry them. You have to put away the dishes. Um, And so I think we often don't think about how many steps there are. For example, if you're, scheduling an appointment for your daughter you have to like look at the schedule you have to like contact your like there's just so many steps to to everything right Mm -hmm. and so I think one of the things we need to do is look at the the chores that we already do see each step and then having one person own that thing completely and that's what fair play talks about is Mm -hmm. like let's talk about all of the um mental load that is usually on women and partnerships that men don't have to do like so many relationships like well I asked my husband to do it and he'll do it but like that's not fair like you should just know this is your house you shouldn't know to do it and so having those conversations um about what is equity and so even that has like changed so like prior to um having our daughter like I hated emptying the dishwasher and so he would always empty the dishwasher and I um, I, he, he is better at having like the same tasks. Like I know what these are every day and I'm better at, I see something needs to be done. I'm just going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I also did more yard work because he has allergies. And mm-hmm. so, um, I would be mowing the lawn and all of that stuff, even though very pregnant, yeah. <laughs> um, because I still liked it. You know, I actually yeah. kind of like mowing the lawn. I like being outside, but I think, um, when you become parents, like all of that equity has to change. You have to, it's a, it's a major life transition. And so Mm -hmm. you're figuring out everything. It feels like from scratch. And so the first 12 weeks, like I said, um, your baby's going to wake in the night for feeding. And so what he would do is he would take her, she would, he would wake up with her. She would be in her little bassinet. So she would be on his side of the bed and he would wake up take her to change her diaper and then bring her to me so I could feed her. And then he'd put her back in the bassinet. Mm. And so that was the most equal way we could think of that task, right? She needs to be fed in the middle of the night, but it's not just feeding her. You have to change her diaper. You have to like lift her out of her bassinet, which can be hard yeah. when like, cause like, um, I don't know how to describe it, but like if the the bat like your arms kind of it's hard. To <laughs> yeah, when you're tired, and your arms kind like of feel weak, <laughs> yeah. and you want to do it like gently so she doesn't wake up. Yeah, and so he was always like better at that because like his like he had more arm strength than I did. Mm. So like that is an example of a task that you would think, oh well, you're the only one with boobs, so mm. you're the one that should be doing it all. And we yeah. found a way to make that as equal as possible. And since then, it's been like a flex and flow. And, um, you know, some things have had to change for him because he used to be like, 
I want to take a rest after work and then I can do chores. But now, <laughs> now there's no rest. I've <laughs> gotten a lot better at like just doing stuff when he sees it instead of like, oh, I'll make this on my list and then I'll do it. He's like, mm. I'll just do it in the moment. Mm. And I've always been a more do it in the moment kind of person. Um, but yeah, and, 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 you know, I mentioned dishwasher earlier. Well, now I have more time like I can strap her on to me uh, during the day. And so I have more time to, to watch her. And, and another thing that we found to work is, you know, he has the flexibility to take time off during the day. And so he'll take her for podcasts if I have one, like he has mm-hmm. her right now. Um, mm-hmm. And I like going to the gym. I like going to classes. And so um, I, he will take her when I have a gym class. Yeah. And so I think all of it is just a conversation um, yeah. and so figuring out what works best for you. And mm-hmm. I, I guess yeah. it's just, yeah, it's just the conversation. And he, because he knows that I have the primary burden to care for her, he's a lot more willing on the weekends to be like, oh, someone has to stay back. Who's it going to be? And it's usually he's really great and willing to stay back. Well, that's incredible. Like, I think, I mean, we as friends have been talking about this subject a lot and also... I think like the the topic of kind of this idea of kin keeping sort of this invisible labor or mental load that women like kind of inherently mm-hmm. are conditioned to carry yeah. um, and like how we can make things more equitable in marriages or even like how it can show up in relationships with roommates and things like yeah. that. And so I, I always love hearing how different marriages will divide things mm-hmm. because it's like a, it's a huge it's a huge piece of your everyday life. And like, even just like the thinking through, okay, here's the list of groceries we need, or mm-hmm. we're out of soap or, you know, whatever it all adds up. Yeah, it does. And I can only imagine that bringing a baby into that environment makes things even more complicated. I love that you said on in our discovery call, how like you guys had worked through a lot of these things before Yes, a baby had we even did. come. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, he's been, he, oh, another thing he does is he cooks the majority of the meals. Um, and so, but like, sometimes I'm like, I want to cook tonight because I need a break. From <laughs> yeah. baby. And so again, it's just all conversation. I think oftentimes people try because of society tells them to put in these different roles. And I just think so much of it is just having conversations with mm-hmm. what works best. And here's another example. Um, so baby we call her baby emmy um has sharp babies have sharp nails and um no one likes trimming them because it's scary because in the beginning like we accidentally like pinched her finger and we're all like terrified of doing that and even the baby trimmer nails we have like don't even do a good job it's like you just did it but like she could still like claw your face off and so um we asked our like our other parents like what do they do for baby nails and like well it's kind of gross, but we chew them off. And I have never been a nail chewer in yeah. my life. I don't know how it's gross to me. Like the, everything about it, just it's not my thing. But so many people are nail chewers, like my husband. And so I thought, you know, you have more experience in this area. Maybe you could do You're a professional. <laughs> you can yeah. handle this. <laughs> you know, he was really pushing back on it because he didn't want to have that responsibility. <laughs> so what we did is like, I, you know, ultimately he is the one who choose her nails but I have to take the duvet cover off and wash it and put it back on by myself which is also a terrible chore and so it's a terrible he has a terrible chore like once a week I have a terrible chore once a week and that way it's even like Mm -hmm. and so we just find things like I really hate this chore like how 
how can we make this equitable? Okay, yeah. will you take the duvet cover? Because that really sucks too. I love yeah. that. I feel it's like so that's real. one of those things that you don't even think about when it comes to parenting or to like taking care of like a little infant yeah. <laughs> until, until you're confronted with it and you're like, huh, how do people do this? Yeah, I don't yeah. know, man. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you, the baby nail clippers are not only terrifying, they're inefficient. Yeah. So you're going to have to figure something out. That's <laughs> yeah. This is what works. I also feel like okay. when you have an issue like that, it's like, okay, this may be a weird solution, but it's the best one we have available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it'll yeah. be better than, you know, having scars from our baby scratching us or yeah. something. Or the oh, baby right. scratching themselves. Yeah. That's equally yeah, terrifying. I mean, problem is scratching herself. Mm-hmm. But also like, kind of scarring to accidentally pinch her finger like yeah. that's what happens and have it bleed like yeah. that was scarring yeah. and so yeah. I guess your mouth is a lot more accurate yeah <laughs> there so you I go. do not envy that my husband has to do it but he doesn't envy that I have to do the duvet cover so. yeah there you yeah. go equality uh, it just it <laughs> kind of just about sex yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I think it's so cool how you like described how you guys like break down those tasks because I don't think, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't, I don't think most people think about how they can divide those things and be like, oh, Mm -hmm. well, it's super simple. The baby can sleep on your side because you need to like pick the baby up and go change Mm -hmm. the baby and then bring Mm -hmm. her to me versus like, I feel like most couples... It's like, well, the baby obviously needs to sleep on the mom's side, like the end. Like that might not even be a conversation that's entertained. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really cool to see, to one, hear how you guys worked through that and um, how you've like figured out what works best for you. There aren't a ton of examples out there of like, well, this is how you can like co-parent really like well, and I can be the primary caregiver, but that doesn't mean you automatically aren't helping Mm -hmm. and supporting and so seeing really practical ways is like I'm gonna file that and remember (laughs) when it is my time but Megan you you mentioned earlier that you did um have a miscarriage and Mm -hmm. so I was wondering if you would be willing to share some about that experience yes miscarriage is terrible Mm um but and sadly very common and it's something that is not talked about so um for example, one in four pregnancies and in miscarriage, which is yeah. really high. That's very high. And I mean, there's nothing that you can really prep for. Like, and you shouldn't be prepping. You like don't prep yeah. for the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it happens, it's devastating. It mm-hmm. just, I mean, I don't think there's another word for it. It's just devastating because you had all of these hopes. Um and you already, a lot of people already fall in love with their baby mm-hmm. um, as soon as they know it's there. And then to know that it didn't, it didn't make it is, is really hard. Yeah. And again, it's, it's, it feels like a failure. And so for me, mm-hmm. what happened with me, um, and again, trigger warning, people can skip ahead. Um, yeah. But for me, what happened is I had made it to six weeks. We went to... Um, the first appointment and there was a heartbeat and everything was great. And they're like, everything looks great. Like, and people will tell you, like, if you've made it to that point, then the odds are pretty low. And I don't think that's actually true. I mean, I think the odds get lower each week, progressive Mm -hmm, week of your first trimester, but, um, 
for me, I, I thought I was in the clear. And then I started spotting um, like two weeks later. And mm. the spotting was brown. And it was not a lot at all. And, and uh, when I called my doctor, they weren't concerned. But I was concerned because yeah. I felt like something was wrong. So I remember yeah. it was like four days of extreme anxiety where they weren't concerned. And I'm like, well, you might, might not be, but I, I am and I need an ultrasound. And so I would say anyone that finds them in their, that place of like, just go and schedule an ultrasound. It's way better than like suffering. And is it wrong? Is like, is something wrong? Just go and get an answer because that in between space is so much harder than, um, than not knowing. And so mm-hmm. I asked to schedule an ultrasound, um, after like four days of that. And unfortunately there wasn't a heartbeat and, it was really hard because I could, I saw how much the embryo had grown since the last time. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I first had a scan, it was it did not look like a baby or like anything close to it. And then, mm-hmm. but then it started to, um, when I had that scan and they're like, there was no heartbeat and that was just devastating. But at the same time, there's a sense of relief because at least I had an answer. I didn't have to live in this limbo anymore. Sure. And then they gave me some options of how to uh, get rid of the pregnancy or to remove the dead tissue from your body. And all of those options really suck. The first one is to let it pass naturally. In my case, uh, because like I was only spotting, I wasn't really having any symptoms of a real miscarriage. Um, it could have taken months, mm-hmm. and 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 in that time, I could have gone septic. Um, mm-hmm. And so that has that happens is like if the, if the miscarriage takes too long to pass, then you can go to septic. And so there, they didn't push me in any direction, but I knew that's I didn't want that process to be drawn out for so long. Cause yeah. like you have a dead thing inside you. You don't want, yeah. <laughs> it's just a reminder. You want it to be over so you can Definitely. heal. And so that was my choice. Um, and so the other two choices was a pill, which is literally the same exact pill um, that they give to abortion pa- uh, patients. And then the other one is a procedure called a DNC, which is the exact same procedure for an abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, they're actually both called abortions. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I chose the medication. Um, and she gave me some, you know, heavy duty painkillers and told me to take it as needed. I wish I took it from the beginning because I took those that the medication and within 10 minutes was in like agonizing pain. And Mm -hmm. after having gone through labor and I did get an epidural, but my epidural stopped, like they ran out of medication. So I didn't have medication for like, Mm. I don't know, half an hour or something. I don't really know how long it was. The pain I felt from that was 10 times more intense. And maybe it was because it was like, you take four pills and it like makes everything happen really, really fast. And Mm -hmm. I remember I sent my husband to go to Target to get like some adult diapers because you bleed a lot after a miscarriage and I had just taken the pills and he's like and he's like are you sure you don't need to stay and I'm like no that like I just took them it's probably gonna take a while for me to feel anything and five minutes later before he even got to the store I told him to turn around and I was screaming and asking him to come home and by that point I had taken the pills but the painkillers but it took a while to kick in and I was like throwing up I was in so much pain and Mm. it was awful it was absolutely awful. And, um, 
I just remember like he helps me get into the shower and I was sitting on the shower floor, like just sobbing, throwing up into a bucket. Mm. It was awful. And he just got in the shower fully clothed and cried with me. And so that was like a, a really tender moment because he got to be with me in such devastation. And obviously he was absolutely heartbroken as well. Um, but to have him with me in that pain was really important. And so, I was so afraid of trying again because uh, I didn't want to yeah. have to go through that because then after that, your hormones, so after you have a miscarriage, your hormones crash mm-hmm. and there's like nothing. You just kind of feel completely out of control until um, your cycle starts to return. And I yeah. wish someone told me that, that this feels devastating because it is, but it's it feels completely out of control because your hormones are completely out of control. And so just give it a couple of weeks and you'll feel like you can crawl out of your pit. But for a couple of weeks, it's going to feel like you can't. And that's Mm -hmm. because of your hormones. And so anyway, so, you know, I started to recover. I was really afraid of um, trying again. And I remember, like, I don't know how to describe it, but like, I felt like, what would I want to say? Like, what would I want to hear in this moment? And, um, I just had me telling myself like death is really scary, but don't let your fear of death prevent you from creating life. Mm. And that's kind of what kind of carried me through to try again. Um, and then we got pregnant again a couple months later and obviously it was terrifying. Um, each ultrasound appointment was, Gosh, I hated it because if you think about my first one, like my, I had one good ultrasound and then I had one really bad ultrasound and then I had another bad ultrasound because after you have your miscarriage, they, you have to get another ultrasound to make sure that the miscarriage passed. Yeah. And so it's like just trauma, 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 trauma. Mm-hmm. In my case, like I didn't have necessarily evidence of miscarriage. And so I didn't know if like, is this, am I going to go to this appointment and be so excited and this, and the heart's not going to be beating anymore Mm -hmm. and so um I would just journal fervently and just saying trying for life after death is the bravest thing you've ever done and that's what I told myself and it wasn't until around uh after my 20-week appointment that I started to like not have crazy anxiety each time I went to an appointment so yeah that's kind of my story I did I did I was very open about it um and I'm so glad I was because the number of messages that were like me too, like people that were like pretty close friends of mine, that I had no idea that they had miscarriages. And like, it's sadly so common, um, but it's just not talked about. But like, I've also found strength in knowing that I wasn't alone. And so if someone, you know, like, heaven forbid that one of you all has to go through a miscarriage, know that you're not alone, know that your hormones are Mm -hmm. are crazy. Um, and know that trying for life, even after death is worth it. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so those, I think were the things my, my husband and other women who like really carried me through that process. Yeah. I mean, thank you so much for sharing. Cause I know, I know you've been open about it online, but like continuing to talk about it, I'm sure is not the easiest thing. Um, Perhaps it gets easier as time goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, anytime I hear a miscarriage story, it is 
it is so gut-wrenching. And so that support that women do feel and are willing to give each other, if we talk about it, I feel like is so there. And so thank you for being brave and trying for life after death, but also being open about the process because that's encouraging other women to be open about what they've been through as well. And I think that's so so important. And that's so scary too. Like, it's not just like, oh, you're going to go through a grieving process and it's going to be really sad for you. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this is going to be one of the most painful experiences of your life. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like yeah. you're dealing with the the trauma of just grief in addition to like a literal painful experience. And then you don't get all the... Mm-hmm hormone help that you get from like Mm -hmm. having a baby i think another thing that's really hard about it is there's no answers yeah like you want to know what went wrong what happened what happened and you never know you just don't get to know i mean you can know that 50 percent of miscarriages are due to uh chromosomal or some kind of genetic abnormality so it's actually a good thing because like the baby wouldn't have survived and your it's your body taking care of anything that wouldn't have survived Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you don't know. And I think another scary part is you don't know, like some, a lot of women have one, a couple, you know, one or two miscarriages. Some women have miscarriage after miscarriage, after miscarriage, after miscarriage, after miscarriage. And I remember one of the scariest things, and I really feel for this woman, but she reached out to me and she said, I've had eight (gasps) miscarriages and then I just gave up. Oh, wow. Oh, man. And she never got answers yeah. to why that was happening. And, and then I thought, well, is that going to be me? And yeah. no, until you try again. And mm-hmm. I remember, like, well, doctor, please tell me. And they're like, well, it's just considered normal. So we don't yeah. even do testing until you have oftentimes three miscarriages in a row. They won't often, oftentimes they won't do testing. I'm like, you want me to like possibly walk through this again without answers? Like, no. Yeah. But, yeah. Wow. And hearing that it's normal is kind of the worst. And I mean, it's, yeah. like, it, it's good to know you're not alone, but to know that that kind yeah. of experience is normal. Yeah. Like, yeah. That they are not going to do testing because this is just considered normal. Yeah. Right. Which I think feeds into also just like the disparities when it comes to women in the healthcare system. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like, why aren't we working harder to try to figure this out? <laughs> yeah. like, I don't, that's that's I, what I wanted to know. I was like, why can't you just like do some testing and like and figure yeah. out? And mm-hmm. and I mean, I don't have an answer. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I tend to err towards like it's common. Is it normal? I don't know. But like, yeah. it is a common experience. Sure. Like mm-hmm. you know, like hormone imbalances and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But that's so. It, yeah. We could talk about the the medical system forever <laughs> and disparity in women's health care. Um, but speaking of women's health care, um, I'm curious, and this might be a slightly like sensitive question, but I'm curious to know if you going through a miscarriage impacted or had any effect on your perspective and and stance of being pro-choice because you've been outspoken about both of these things. And I'm Mm -hmm. curious to hear. It's interesting because I remember like way before I had kids, one of my friends who who was a good friend Mm. told me she couldn't be friends with me anymore because I voted for Hillary. And uh, that after having a child, she could never vote for anyone that was pro-choice. Oh, And any, which is, I mean, so it's interesting to have like 
I mean, I don't know if that was really the reason, but she felt like after having a child, there's no way that she would ever remotely think it's okay yeah. uh, for abortion to exist. And for me, I'm like, this is something that women should be able to choose because mm. it is agony to lose a pregnancy. Yeah. And I mean, there's even tons of grief that even comes with abortion, which I don't think we talk about. Um, Katie Zay talks yes. about. Um, yeah. She wrote um, the book, the, wait, what is it? (laughs) You know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I had her on my podcast, but even like people don't talk about like the term is disenfranchised grief. And Mm. that's something that's kind of like grief. That's not, you're not really allowed to publicly grieve and miscarriage is one of those. And so is abortion. And I think that like, there's this misconception that people who choose abortions are like, yeah, I want to kill babies. Like that's not the case no. at all mm-hmm. and often and when reading her book really humanized a lot of those stories like for one like one person like their pregnancy like they were already struggling with depression and they started ha- like when they were pregnant they had extreme depression suicidal ideation and they knew that because of the hormone changes that they were not mentally stable and they could not continue mm. this pregnancy and and so that's like one example another example is um there's such things as like ectopic, like one of the people she interviewed had an ectopic pregnancy and what she did, it was an abortion. So she could live. And, and, and the uh, the woman she interviewed was a rabbi. And in that faith, like if it becomes between the mom's life and the baby's life, it's like in that faith, you choose the mom's life. Um, and it, like, I mean, there's so many, like, I, like it is a complicated choice and there's so many reasons and women yeah. might be in domestic violence pa- partnerships and having yeah. that child will keep her chained to her abuser. Yeah. Like there's so many different reasons why. Um, and if we look at why women choose abortions, um, there's research there and 74% say they can't afford to have a child. Um, and if you look at our society, like that's not that surprising mm-hmm. because if we look at like our minimum wage, our childcare, oh, yeah. is uh, there are so many areas of inequity that contribute yeah. to a mother or a woman. And oftentimes people who are having abortions are already mothers or they are already caregivers. Yeah. Um, there's so many factors to make that decision. And instead of showing an ounce of compassion for what's an incredibly complicated, really heart gut wrenching decision, there is just hatred. Um, And so for me, after going through this process, uh, you know, for example, here's another thing I think people don't know until they have a baby at your 20 week checkup. um, It's a more, or ultrasound, it's a more in-depth ultrasound. And that's often when you find out a lot about like heart defects, um, brain issues, like anything that can make the fetus incompatible with life. And so even sometimes we'll get to their 20-week appointment and find out their child is incompatible with life. Or it's not, and it, you definitely don't know anything until 12 weeks. Like mm-hmm. you can't know anything about it until 12 weeks. And maybe you're at your 12-week appointment and you find out, you know, my baby's organs are growing on the outside of their, like, there's no chance of survival. And to me, it just seems extraordinarily cruel to have to force someone to carry something to term mm-hmm. that 
is going to like just going through that process, even waiting until that next day to take that pill, something I knew was dead inside me. I just wanted to, 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 to move on. I wanted to heal. I wanted finality and to make women who very likely would want that child in different circumstances. It's, I mean, it just feels extraordinarily cruel. And we hear these stories like there's they're all over now mm-hmm. where women are having to go to other states because their life is in danger. There's a story yeah. in uh, Texas where uh, a woman's water broke early. Mm. I think it was mm-hmm. 16 weeks. I'm not Oof. entirely sure. There was no chance of the baby living. Zero. Mm-hmm. And they she was not allowed to get an abortion because the heart was still beating. Mm. The, her option was to wait to go septic until her, basically until she was like at the edge of death for them to remove yeah. the, uh, the fetus at that stage. And so not only was this a child she wanted, mm-hmm. <laughs> they were forcing like basically to, to, to have to put her life at risk. Yeah. It's just, it's so cruel. And so mm-hmm, for me, is. like even after the emotions, like after I gave birth, I had a great support system and I still struggled with postpartum anxiety um, that led to a little bit of depression mm-hmm. and any kind of having a child, any kind of mental instability you have is going to come up mm-hmm. and you're going to have to deal with it. And that's not to say it's not worth it. I don't want to scare anyone away. I'm just saying to force someone that has, and that's in an abusive partnership that doesn't have support, that doesn't have money, that doesn't have all of these things to then go through something to then like end up in the foster care system because they can't. And if let's talk about our foster care system, Mm -hmm, there's so much, so many children, my best friend, she works in CASA and the stories I hear and it's absolutely devastating. Absolutely devastating. And so for me, if anything, pregnancy has made me pro-choice. I realized the millions of complications that can happen just physically to your child, to say nothing of emotions, to say nothing of financial stability, to say nothing of a society that is not friendly to moms and the sacrifices that we have to make. It's just, it's just crazy to me. And then those same people who are trying to outlaw abortion and and this also puts people who have miscarriages at risk remember when i told you that my procedure was the exact same thing walgreens just came forward and said they will no longer prescribe those pills wow because of these laws i'm serious no yes i'm out that makes me so angry it makes me so angry and so like they're saying, oh, it doesn't affect women with miscarriages. It absolutely it, uh, does. 100% it does. If this was about children, mm-hmm. if this was actually about children, we would have yes. universal pre-K. Yes. We would have subsidized child care. We would have maternity leave. Mm-hmm. We would have support systems for parents. Um, and we don't. And yeah. so that's why it's absolutely not about, it's about control. It's mm-hmm. not about children. Yeah. Um, and these same people who are, you know, so against abortion are also the same people that are taking away healthcare and that they're looking at taking away contraceptives. 
Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, and here's another thing. Each one of my appointments before my deductible was met was $500. Mm-hmm. And I have great insurance. Jesus. Yep. So <laughs> that's a huge cost. Yeah. You have to have an appointment every four weeks. And then after that, when you hit a certain point, it's every um two weeks and it's every week. Yeah. It actually, it makes you think of, have you seen the new John Stewart video where he interviews the Senator from Oklahoma? Mm. No, I haven't. He's talking to him about um, how he, this Senator who's very conservative is supporting um, getting rid of drag show story time. I think like where drag queens are telling, but like reading children's books to children. Um, And John Stewart basically like, tells him off saying, do you know what the number one cause of death in children is? And he's like, it's not, definitely not drag queens reading stories to them. Mm -hmm. And it's also not cancer. It's not car accidents. It's guns. And so he's talking about how these people, they're claiming they care about children. They're claiming that it's unsafe for children to be, you know, having drag queen story time to see someone dressed in drag, but they also won't pass legislation that's going to actually keep children safe when it comes to gun control. I think it all ties in. Mm -hmm. Oh, not to mention in the last three weeks, I believe there have been 14 reported sexual assaults of minors. 90% of them happened in the church. Mm -hmm. Mm. I mean, it's just like, for me, it's like, you don't actually care. Let's let's just be honest because there, if you did care, you would want your tax dollars to go to subsidized healthcare yep. and mm-hmm. maternity leave yep. and fo- the foster care system and minimum wage. Like if you look at the reason, we can see ex- exactly what these reasons Absolutely. are that women are choosing to get abortions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And okay, well, maybe we could have a minimum wage. Maybe we could do something about, I think the, the minimum wage in the United States pays for living exactly nowhere in the United States, you can't afford in a, anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the United States, you can't afford an apartment based on a 40-hour-a-week min- minimum wage. Mm-hmm. And so, like, all of these things are contributing to people feeling like they can't have children. Yeah. And and now you want to take away their contraceptives? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, this is ridiculous. It is. Yeah. And so I just... My goodness, I it's like if anything, I'm just more yeah. like this is such a hard process and and a, a, a decision that's really hard and no one is like oh I'm just gonna get I'm just gonna go have unprotected sex I'm just gonna have an abortion yeah like, these are really hard yeah. decisions that people mm-hmm. have to make I think in Tennessee recently they also. Republicans also introduced legislation around the exception for rape, oh. and it's. So BS that I can't even handle it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but basically, in order to receive the exception so that one can have an abortion, someone's rapist has to be convicted. <laughs> so, <laughs> first of all, if you if you know anything about the justice system, it doesn't work that fast. So mm-hmm. you're both forcing someone to to go through the entire judicial process and face their rapist in like a very complex and very damaging traumatic judicial process mm-hmm. while carrying their pregnancy in addition to the fact that if the person is not convicted they are guaranteed parental rights to the child i which is super effed up in every single way and on yeah. top of that according to a statistic from rain and i'm not sure if this is the most updated one but a couple of years ago only six in 1,000 rapists yeah. face jail time. Yeah. Yes. Jesus. So, like, yeah. don't even talk. Do not. I just, like, this. 
oh my yeah. god yeah forgot about how angry these things make <laughs> and rightfully so. so we were talking about this back when roe v wade was overturned yeah, like, yeah. there's we're like there's no way that an, an exception for rape could even be a little bit taken seriously yeah because yeah. we we don't even take rape seriously now right yeah. but mm-hmm. not even to oh, mention no. that logistically like it doesn't make sense it's, it's no. just impossible yeah definitely we could go on about this, I really think, yeah. um, but we only have so much time. I wanted to ask, what do you think people don't say enough about becoming a mom? Like, what are the things that you're like, I wish I would have heard this more or yeah. at all before I brought a child into the world? I, I have an answer for that, but it's also an answer that's like really taboo, but I'll, I'll be brave and say it. I love it. Ooh. So a lot of people who, first of all, I don't, there is a statistic that I can't remember the source. And so don't quote me on this, but um, after the pandemic rates of postpartum anxiety went up to like 60% or mm. something and postpartum depression, I think was like 40%. Um and so something that people don't talk about, and I wish someone talked to me about this before, because I think I would have not spiraled so much, is there's actually a book out there called Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts. Mm. And I remember when I um, I was so afraid of everyone warns you about SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. Mm-hmm. Man, I like I think it needs to be talked about, but it's also terrifying. Yeah. And also in the beginning stages, your child, like I already shared, like she was not sleeping in, in her bassinet. In fact, she wouldn't sleep anywhere except on my chest because she was I think she was really hungry and trying to suck on my boobs a lot so she could get milk because that's what triggers the milk to come in, because at first it's colostrum. Mm-hmm. Um and so she was just constantly on my breast. And I was absolutely terrified of falling asleep while holding her and I was terrified to put her in our bed with us and I was terrified I was just so afraid of SIDS and like her getting smothered with a blanket and I had an intrusive thought that I would harm my child by smothering her with a blanket Mm. and I spiraled because I would never ever do that to my child ever but at the same time, like my brain, I now have words for it. My yeah. therapist, like, because I had been told over and over again, babies can be smothered by blankets. Um, that makes sense that my brain was hyper protective of her and trying to find out a way that to protect her. And so um, I spiraled after that to the point where I like lost my appetite. I didn't eat, Mm. like I couldn't eat like, and I had to breastfeed and I was just like, not in a good place at all until I talked to a postpartum therapist and said, those are normal. Mm. Yeah. I wish someone told me that. I wish that, and they vary like from person to person, what those are like, Oh, I'm afraid I'm going to fall down the stairs with her. Like Mm -hmm. whatever, like just some way of me, accidentally causing her harm Mm -hmm. and it's so disturbing because you would do anything to keep this child safe yeah um and so I think what I wish more people talked about is like you might have most moms will have an intrusive thought where they have like you know they fall they have a vision where they fall down the stairs with them or like my husband even had them where he felt like he was afraid to like push her in the store because he's afraid that he'd like fall and trip and she'd her stroller would go into the street Mm -hmm. and like just your brain 
This is one thing. Your brain actually changes when you become a parent. And this is true whether or not you birth your child or you're a foster parent or whatever. Mm. Your brain uh, changes to perceive threats that you never saw before. And so like things that I had never seen as a threat in my life, like a river, you know, we took her on a walk by a river and I'm like, she could drown in that river. Mm -hmm. I'm cutting vegetables with a knife. This could harm her. Like literally everything was a threat and you know, it varies in severity. Um, and for me, I think it got worse because I would dwell on them because I was like, I can't believe I thought that. Yeah. And, and then it was just like more and more disturbing and I just spiraled. But I, this is something that's really common and actually people's brains change. Mm-hmm. And when I told my therapist, she's like, yeah, I had that thought or like uh, my other, ther- I have, I had two therapists. <laughs> that's great. I'm you like, can't get enough. Well right? done. I had yes. one that I saw for five years who I, who um, wasn't trained in specifically in postpartum. And so I switched to one that was postpartum. Mm. So she, like my previous one was just mainly familial trauma stuff. And, um, even her, she said, yeah, I had a thought that I might you know, drop my baby. Like like she was in a aquarium. There was like a tall, whatever. And I just like held her closer. That Mm. will happen to most parents. I mean, it happened to my husband. Like, and so I just wish people knew that your brain is going to change and you're not crazy. This is your brain being hyper-protective of how to keep your child alive. And so things that you never would have seen as a threat, thoughts that you thought you would never have, might, you might have, and that's yeah. your brain on overdrive trying to protect your child. And mm. it's actually a good thing because you you need to be aware of so many more threats to keep that child safe, but mm-hmm. it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so if you guys have what I, I call them intrusive thoughts, that's what, and, and they do get better. Like it was mm-hmm. bad for like the first six weeks. And now I can't like really remember the last time I had one and I'm mm. six months postpartum. Um, but that's also because I got the help I needed. I mean, and circling back to like our previous conversation, the types of people who are now forced to enter into parenthood right. and they don't have resources like that and they don't have access to support like that and they're at home alone or mm-hmm. like right. trying to navigate like working and, you know, mm-hmm. having a baby and maybe don't have a husband to support, like all of yeah. those things, yeah. like all of those privileges that support you when you're mm-hmm. raising a child are not available to mm-hmm. so many people. Right. And yeah, I just can Which, only like, imagine. probably amplifies yeah. the way that those intrusive thoughts feel. Yes, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have my husband to talk about those things with, I, I didn't. So the reason I knew like something was wrong was literally not even a week postpartum. And I, I talked to my doulas and they said, baby blues are normal. This, um, it sounds like you might be struggling with some postpartum anxiety. I would talk to your doctor and mm-hmm. get a specifically postpartum therapist. Mm-hmm. I wish we talked about that. Yeah. Because I think a lot of my anxiety stemmed from my thought it wasn't normal. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not normal, but it's normal for people with postpartum anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually yeah. went to a uh, one. There's a really great resource for anyone who just should know about PSI's postpartum Support International, I think it's what it's called. But they have tons of resources there, which I highly recommend. Mm. Um, But I went to one of the support groups and (laughs) it was like, I don't know, like 10 moms and every one of them, like the intrusive thoughts 
like all of them mm, have them. Yeah. So um, I don't know if it's necessarily common for normal pregnancy, but it's definitely common for postpartum anxiety. Yeah. And I feel like postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression are like a, a lot of people struggle with that after pregnancy. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and they so, don't talk and no one talks about it. Yeah. No. And I wish we did because yeah. this is also normal. And it's, it's due to a lot of factors, sleep deprivation, mm-hmm. your hormones out of whack, and your brain is literally changing. Yeah. And you are adapting to the biggest change you've ever gone through in your life. Yeah. And I just hope that people know that uh, if, if you have postpartum anxiety, like, that is something that's really common for people to deal with and you're not bad and you're not evil. Yeah, mm. definitely. That's really good. Thank you for being vulnerable mm. with that and sharing because yeah. yeah. I think that's so important just to keep talking about it. And mm-hmm. just like with miscarriage or with abortion, like just talking about it and hearing people's stories, that's what's mm-hmm. going to break stigmas. That's what's going to get people to feel like they can ask for help or mm-hmm. that they that's going to bring more resources about as people have more awareness. And yeah. so... That's so important. Yeah. Well, and it humanizes everything too, right? Mm-hmm. These are real people attached to these experiences, right? Like yeah. like when you talked about ectopic pregnancy, one of my best friends from growing up, like she had one of those and she had to get an abortion to save her life. Like these are all like mm-hmm. there are people attached to these experiences and yeah. like therefore the more stories you hear, the more like people I think are – willing to like pour resources in to find the right solutions. Yeah. Well, Megan, we have to start wrapping things up. Oh man. But we it. have we I know. We <laughs> wish we could talk for hours. But we have an important question for you. A question that we ask every guest and a question we've asked you a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so, although you have answered this twice already, we want to ask you, what does woman being mean to you, Megan, now as a new mom, as a candidate for ordination, yeah. <laughs> as someone who's going to seminary, yeah. as someone who's this feminist, amazing, badass woman, mm-hmm. tell us, what does woman being mean to you? I'm like wondering if it's changed at all since I've become a mom. But I also feel like... Like motherhood is not any kind of necessity to being a woman, obviously. Um, mm. But I do feel like it definitely changes you. And yeah, gosh, like, okay. So to make it all kind of, I don't know if this is even answering your questions, but it's what's coming to mind right now. To make it kind of all Christian-y, um, you know, we talk about Jesus, you know, take any, this is my life given for you. Like what is more motherhood than that like literally Mm -hmm. I am feeding you from my body my body is broke literally broken for you to enter the world Mm -hmm. um I sacrifice so much to keep you alive yeah I think I see Christ in a completely new feminine way Mm -hmm. of this mother figure like the pain I went through to bring my child in every way to this, you know, every kind of pain, emotional, physical, mental to bring her here and and to be like, you are worth it all. Like you are worth the sleepless nights. You are worth, uh, you know, in the beginning breastfeeding is super painful. Like I remember having to break down because like literally everything I did to keep her alive hurt. Like Mm -hmm. I was recovering from massive abdominal surgery, like literally my body ripped open for her. Um, and, she hadn't gotten her latch good yet. And so my 
breasts were like cracked and bleeding. My nipples were. And I just remember like everything I do to, to keep her alive hurts right yeah. now. Obviously, I wish I didn't have to experience that pain, but I look at her and I think, absolutely, you're worth this. Mm. And so I I think as a mother, it's changed a lot. Like I see more of the divine in me mm. um, after this experience. Like what is more divine than, you know, selflessly loving a child, even when it causes you immense pain? Like yeah. what is more holy than that and so I guess that's kind of my answer is wow being a woman is kind of divine and even yeah. you know if you're not a mother the the pain that we go through in this world yeah the ways that women sacrifice to keep the world going mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. kind of divine yeah that's yeah. good wow I love it that I gave love me some goosebumps yeah, yeah. I'm like wow I don't even like consider myself like really a practicing Christian anymore but that like brought tears to my eyes I was like oh my god you're so you're so right and that's so like you said it's so divine mm-hmm. yeah so Megan we I, you've already mentioned quite a few amazing resources throughout this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was PSI. Uh, okay. There's a complicated choice, uh, mm-hmm. which is Rain. a phenomenal book. Fair uh, there play. was what was that fair, fair play. play? Fair play. Mm-hmm. Um, but are there any other resources that you would like to recommend to our listeners about? Any of these topics that we've covered today? I mean, I think you should get my book, but I just want to talk about motherhood. So oh, yes. Cool. Definitely get um, her book. My, yes. my podcast, I, I yes. do talk. We did do a, a little bit of a series on motherhood um, before. Like, as I mean, I, there's a lot to update. Like, I'm also going to be putting this on my podcast because I'm like, this is a great way to update. Yeah. Yes. And like recording it twice. I'll just have them interview me. And it's great. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Those are some resources. Definitely. PSI is a great resource. Um, a complicated choice is a great resource. Um, yeah, I think I mentioned everything, at least pertaining to this episode already. Totally. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything doulas, I think is a great resource and therapy is a great resource. Totally. So if you don't, if you're going through this process, those are two things I'd really recommend. Yeah. Um, I live in Athens, Georgia, and there's a program called Athens Parent Wellbeing, and there's a lot mm. of resources for parents there. In fact, they provide free therapy. Oh, wow. For people who can't wow. afford it, they provide TheraParents, so like parents who have been through postpartum depression or anxiety to meet mm. with people. They have mm. like play groups and stuff. And so I know this is present in my city, but I would encourage you to try and find those in your city because um, yeah. parenthood is hard and a lot of people do make resources to, I wouldn't say to make it easy, but to support people in mm. that process. And so, um, yeah. yeah. Can I ask a not pre-planned question. <laughs> sure. Are you considering writing another book? Ooh. Oh, I am. I don't know about what. Ooh, I okay. know there's another one in me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I I don't know what it is. But yeah, I would totally write another book. We'll yeah. be keeping yeah. our eyes and was, ears open yeah. for that. Maybe yeah. it'll be Woman Being Season Four. Megan. <laughs> To come, come on about her new interview. book. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, wow. Okay. Thank you so much, Megan. We'll link mm-hmm. all of those things in our description. And we will link you in the description because the people need to follow you. Find her on Instagram as Faith and Feminism. Um, and 
Are you on TikTok? I don't even know, actually. I was kind of on TikTok for a little bit. I haven't had time. I will. I plan on it, but I yeah. need childcare. Uh, it's yeah. a yep. classic totally. problem. Uh-huh. So, totally. Super well, fair. Follow her on TikTok because she's going to post some great uh-huh. things. Yeah. So <laughs> go ahead and get there. <laughs> oh my um, so. And so, uh, yeah, but I totally recommend people get your book, Woman Rising, that they follow your podcast, Faith and Feminism. Give it a review. Give it a review. And then five while stars, you're there, stars. give Woman Being a review. Uh-huh. <laughs> and be sure to, you know, let people know. Share this episode with people because... This is amazing content about motherhood, about what it looks like to go through um, postpartum, to go through miscarriage. You have such amazing perspective, Megan. And so thank you so much for sharing it with Mm -hmm. us and letting us pick your brain. Also, Woman Beings, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. Mm -hmm. We're a Woman Being podcast. Check out our website, womanbeingcommunity.com. We have all the things. Mm -hmm. Uh, But all that to say, Megan, we're going to let you go. So you can be with your beautiful baby and your beautiful husband. And um, we are going to wrap up this episode now. Time to end it. We'll see you next time. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs)